Welcome to Parenting Bites with Rebecca Levy. We talk about the intersection of parenting and technology. Everything you need to know about raising kids in the digital age. This is Parenting Bites. Hi, welcome to Parenting Bites. This is Rebecca Levy of Kids Views. I'm here in the studio today with Amy Oztan of Amy Ever After. Hello. Hello. You have your glasses on. I've I, never well, seen you with glasses on. Because I had to read the study that we're talking about <laughs> on the subway, so I actually needed glasses. She's cramming. Yeah. Uh, and Andrea Smith, also in her glasses, but she's always in her glasses. <laughs> Technology guru extraordinaire. And we have, I love this segment that we're doing. I feel like we haven't had um, someone representing like a real study in a long time. We have uh, Caroline Nora on. She's the parenting editor of Common Sense Media. She's going to join us to talk about their new study about kids and screen time for zero to eight. We're going to dive down into all their findings and their recommendations. I I feel like Always I fascinating. it's fascinating and I cannot believe how quickly the world changes and how things stay the same and don't stay the same mm-hmm. and I don't know. We're going to dive down into all that, and then we will have our Bites of the Week. We'll be right back with Caroline Knorr. You're listening to Parenting Bites with Rebecca Levy. Okay, so we're back, and uh, Common Sense Media, which we actually use a lot of their data um, on our podcast, (laughs) um, has a new report out, um, and it's it's actually a pretty major research report on media use by kids ages zero to eight. So I'm not sure what kids age zero are doing, but uh, zero to eight, (laughs) we'll find out about that. Um, And we have joining us on the phone, parenting editor Caroline Knorr. Caroline, thank you for joining us. Thank you. So this is the the third annual report that you guys have put out? That's, for this age group, yes, it's the third one. We did one in 2011, and we did one in 2013. And uh, the 2017 report uses the exact same methodology as those earlier uh, reports, and we really just wanted to measure um, the uh, media use by kids in that age group. So 2011 to 2017, I'll bet there's a huge difference in the kind of findings you're seeing and how kids are using media. Share some, share some uh, interesting findings with us. The biggest news from the Common Sense Census um, in measuring zero to eight in 2017, it, the biggest difference is that um, mobile device use is way up among young children. I mean, it's pretty crazy. Um, in 2011, we found that 42% of kids of that age group had a tablet device in their home. The new study says that 98%, that's near total wow. penetration of wow. all economic levels of children eight and under now live in homes with mobile devices. Um, and so that just that every kid really has, you know, access to a mobile device. Um, and that just really has a lot of implications for um families who have kids who are learning to walk and talk as they have access to these mobile devices. And one thing that I found really interesting was the the number of children who had their own tablet. And I'm wondering, I don't know if you have any way of knowing this, but I'm wondering if the increase is due to hand-me-downs. Like, are these new tablets that the kids have? Are they buying them specifically for the children? Or is it their original iPad is now, you know, the the third one that they have, so they just hand it to the kid? Right. That is such a great question. We didn't measure that. Uh, I'm sure that has a big um, part to do with it. 
I actually think a lot of parents, uh, you know, the, the prices have come down, mm-hmm. um, you know, and we weren't really looking at, you know, which platforms people are using, but, you know, the, the, but these are really cheap, um, you know, and you can also buy ones that are um, designed just for kids as well. So um, a lot of parents, I think, get them because they believe that kids will be behind if they're not using mobile technology. You know, once they get to school, they're going to not really uh, be up to par with their technology using peers. So, and I think so a lot of parents, I think, invest in them thinking that it's going to be good for their education. That's so interesting because... Let's talk about zero to four <laughs> for a second. Yeah, right. um, you know, I can understand that in maybe the five through eight cohort. But when we're talking zero through four, you know, one of the things you mentioned before we started the segment was that overall screen time is the same. It's where that screen time is happening. So it used to be, and we all experienced this parental guilt of the TV. The TV was the babysitter. You plunked them down in front of like baby Einstein so that you felt better about it. All the time. <laughs> right. Um, my daughters watched an awful lot of HGTV when they were babies because that's what I watched while I was nursing. <laughs> um, but, you know, now I think it's just moved, right, to a different screen. But there is a difference between a TV and an individual device. Yes, that's exactly right. And that is what the study showed, that TV time is less. So kids are using about, um, the kids are doing, engaging about the same amount of screen time as, um, as we measured before, but what they're doing on their screens has changed. And really, it's a lot of streaming media. So we're seeing families investing in streaming services like Hulu, Amazon, and Netflix, and really mm-hmm. watching less TV. And, um, you know, what it, it, you know, there's really, there's a lot of pros and cons to that. There's a lot of age and appropriate content on those channels <laughs> um, and not great parental controls. Um, and I think that, and also YouTube as well, mm-hmm. uh, you know, young kids really love YouTube. Um, and the other good thing about those, um, about the streaming services is that a lot of times, um, the shows are shorter than they are on regular broadcast TV, so that's kind of a plus. Um, and then they're also less commercials. So, you know, there's really pros and cons, but the whole thing with the TV, and that's really where some of the uh, confusion comes in around um, how much screen time is okay, and, and also sort of our preconceived notions around what's okay for kids to be doing on screens. There aren't a lot of really good studies about how um, young kids can learn from interactive technology. We just don't have the data yet. Um, and there are a lot of studies about um, the negative impacts of TV watching on kids, especially really young kids. So, you know, so we really don't know what the difference is with the interactive um, stuff. Uh, it seems somewhat promising, but you're right. You can't just sit your kid in front of a, of a of a screen and assume that it's going to be educational or that they're learning something. Um, or so that, that it's that's a really good point. I'm going to jump in here for a second. That's a really good point because I think what's happened to me, it seems like what's happening is that parents are saying, oh, my kids aren't watching as much TV. This is great. Right. But they're just shifting what they're watching to a mobile device. So they're still watching TV in the sense that it's a show that they've chosen um, you know, I, I felt like it used to be a few years ago, I'd see kids in strollers here in the city, 
maybe like two years old, holding an iPad, playing a game on an iPad in the grocery store. And, you know, at that point, parents thought, oh, but they're playing an educational game, you know, so that's okay. Now it almost feels like, well, we're streaming and I'm getting to choose and there's no commercials. So that's guilt free. That's that's exactly right. Um, you know, the overall screen time in kids zero to eight has not changed that much, which is kind of that's good news. But you know, our hope is that families would be really investing in some of the great, uh, creative, um, you know, uh, useful, pragmatic, um, you know, uh, digital media that you that you can get nowadays, but it does seem like basically they're turning on the thing and just letting their kids use it. But, you know, at Common Sense Media, we're not about, like, judging families for what they're doing. I mean, you know, we, you know, every family's trying to do their best, and I always say, you know, you might see that mom at the grocery store sticking her kid in front of with the iPad or whatever, but who knows? Maybe when she gets home, she's all about the, you know, uh, learning and interacting. So, you know, I think it's just important for us to be mindful that, that passive screen watching um, has been shown to have some negative uh, impact. And one of the biggest concerns there is that passive screen watching can interrupt the interactions between a caregiver and a child. Mm-hmm. And that is really one of the biggest problems with, with basically screen media is that you know, you're not doing that, talking to your kid, making eye contact, playing and teaching them about the world. That is absolutely essential with kids in that age group, zero to eight. Right. I know there was a study earlier this year that we had talked about, um, about kids becoming emotionally attached to their iPads um, and having tantrums when they were taken away because that they had sort of bonded. The the iPad was giving them or their tablet was giving them the reward um, and the attention, basically, and having just these meltdowns. Well, and they, and right, exactly. And I think, we, you know, the parents are really just, I think, again, I think a lot of parents invest in these things thinking that they're going to be, that it's like an investment for their kids' learning and for their future. And to some extent, they can be. Um, but really, any tool that you get for your kid that you're hoping is going to be an educational benefit absolutely relies on uh, the support that the caregiver is giving to the child while they're using that tool. So, you know, it's... It, there's really, you know, it's okay for your kids. We, we actually don't know how much screen time is bad for kids, <laughs> um, but we do know what's good for kids, and um, that is interacting, talking, reading, you know, making eye contact, sharing the world with your child. And, you know, a 15-minute show or a half-an-hour show is not going to hurt your kid. But things like background TV, uh, TV that is on all the time, TVs in the bedroom, or even devices in the bedroom, all of those things that can interrupt some of the important interactions and the important, you know, brain building things that kids need to be doing, brain and body building things, and especially sleep. So we just need to be mindful about how much screen time kids are getting exposed to and really trying to make good choices about what they're using and then trying to interact with them while they're using it, you know, to the extent possible. Were there any findings that were really surprising to you with this latest study? I was shocked that the uh, that screen use it has stayed pretty, uh, screen time has stayed pretty much consistent um, in, throughout the last six years. The other thing I actually was really surprised about, because when I was raising my son, I was so cognizant of the 
uh, of the screen time limits that the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends for parents of young kids. So I was always aware, like, oh, I really shouldn't let my little son watch more than an hour of TV a day. Um, but a lot of parents say, oh, I really didn't know that there were screen time recommendations. My doctors never talked about it. Mm-hmm. I've never heard about it. And, and I think that that kind of shows um, that, you know, you know absolutely, you know, par- doctors have a lot of other work that they need to do with parents. I mean, they're basically trying to keep kids well. Um, but the American Academy of Pediatrics actually revised their screen time limits last year, allowing a little bit more time for kids and also saying that certain things like interactive um, screen activities were could be beneficial. Um, but parents are saying, oh, I didn't know, you know, um, and, and I, so I was surprised about that. That's really interesting because I remember a few years back talking to parents about um video game ratings. And so many parents, when I was raising my son as, as a teenager, so many parents had no clue that a game could have an M rating and that it wasn't appropriate for their I kids. I know. I know. I'm always surprised about that, too, when I say ESRB, which is the Entertainment Software Review Board that rates video games. I'll say, oh, well, you know, that's E10. And people are like, what the heck does that mean? And, you know, and, and in fact, not to like shamelessly plug common sense media reviews, but that's why common sense media was started because we give independent age ratings for everything that we review that's not based on the industry ratings. So we absolutely uh, believe that parents should be paying attention to what, uh, what media is age appropriate and developmentally appropriate for their kids. The other thing I want to point out is that there's so much stuff that's labeled educational and especially stuff in the app store. If you go in it always, you know, if it's for kids, it's going to say educational. Parents cannot rely on the descriptions that developers put in the app store about their apps because they're just, you know, typically written by like basically probably the engineer who worked on the app. So you really have to consider the ingredients in different digital media to determine whether or not it is age appropriate and whether or not it has learning potential. Right. I mean, I think people don't realize that there's no criteria for those labels in iTunes. It's just categories that they I know. made up. <laughs> it's just there's I no. Know. And I know. And so I'm always evangelizing about that. And so, you know, and, and, and so you just read the description that's in there. And then I always say uncheck common sense media because or you can even go to the website of the of the app that you're interested in and learn more about it. Right. And read the reviews. Exactly. Yeah. Carolyn, I want to ask you because, you know, you talk about um common sense, of course, and parents uh, doing things with their kids when they're using these devices. Um, Talk to us a little bit about what parents can do um, by way of setting a good example. I know you've got a a campaign going, um, I think it's a hashtag device-free dinner. Yes, we have our device-free dinner, which we recommend, you know, and, you know, we know parents are busy. We don't say, you don't have to have dinner every night together. You know, I certainly didn't when my son was growing up and he turned out sort of okay so (laughs) you know but but you have to role model the digital habits that you want your kids to emulate so you gotta and i think really saying tonight is a device free dinner we're putting our devices away we're in a world now where so many parents uh you know can work around the clock and maybe are expected to work around the clock but you have to tell your boss that you know your coworkers. I'm turning off my phone from, you know, 6 to 8 o'clock or whatever it is, and, 
and I'm not going to be answering the phone. So you absolutely have to set that boundary. So we say device-free dinners, and we also recommend that families have uh, what we call device-free times and zones, and we think the bedroom should be a device-free zone. Um, Oh, another thing that the Zero to Eight study found is that parents are letting their kids watch or interact with media up until bedtime, and that's Mm -hmm. It's the sleep experts who are saying that's a big no-no because mm-hmm. all of that stuff is very stimulating. So, you know, really keep the screens out of the bedroom. And this, and parents really have to do that themselves. And I, I'm sure everybody can say that they've, like, sat in their bed with their spouse and looked at their phone. <laughs> you know, you're both on your phone. And then you look at your spouse and you're like, what are we doing? Like, we're not even talking to each other. So putting the phones out of the bedroom and really talking to your kids, even your young kids, about having those limits with your technology and that's going to help them just you know embody those digital habits that you want them to have yeah i think that's great advice i think it's so sad that we have to have a hashtag for device free dinner (laughs) but there we are i mean it's just crazy it's funny because um i my daughters and i eat earlier than my husband gets home from work we just can't wait even though now like my daughters are old enough that we should wait we none of us can wait um, and he's the times when he sits with us at dinner, he brings his phone to the table and right. it's like instantaneous. All three of us are like, get out, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, get oh, your phone. And you're enforcing he, your device free dinner. It doesn't him. even, well, it doesn't even occur to us cause it doesn't happen. And then right. it's like his natural instinct is to have his phone next to him at all times. But it you is know, funny all to the see. All studies show that, that screen use only increases as kids get older. You know, we did a yes. zero to eight study, but then we also do a tween and teen study and we also measure parents use. And screen time is really off the charts with tweens, teens, and parents. So if you start, you know, when your kids are younger, um, the AAP says, you know, when kids are zero to two, you know, there's really no evidence that says that screens are good for them. There are some small studies that indicate that kids can learn from and bond bond with people on the other side of the screen, for example, doing like FaceTime or, you know, they can really get into Elmo or something like that. And that's promising, but there's nothing that takes the place of reading, for one thing, and really interacting and talking to your kid. There's just no app that's going to take the place of that now. As your kids get older, sure, you can introduce screen time. And again, you want to kind of be there with them and supervise and make good choices. And then co-view and co-play as much as possible. It doesn't have to be every single time. And, you know, you just try and find a balance. You know, it's like one week, okay, they're, maybe they kind of OD, OD'd on the, on the screen time. And then the next week, you kind of ratchet it back when things are a little bit back to normal or whatever. Just strive for a balance and try and role model those good digital habits. Right. It's like food. <laughs> it's like the same thing. You have your exactly. birthday week where you eat cake every day, and then yeah. you're like, all right, no cake this week, people. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I say, like, when my son was sick, you know, it was like, yeah, he was going to be watching, mm-hmm. you know, probably a full day of TV. And of course, I felt guilty about that. But, you know, the next day he went back to school and he didn't over- overdo it on the screens. The other thing that parents can do is I really love um, podcasts. We actually just did a story on podcasts for kids. This type of oral, um, you know, um, engagement, so meaning just kids listening, is really, really good. So listening to a story and hearing words, that's great for kids, and that's not screen time. So you can do a podcast or you can do audio books and have that play for your kids as a break from the screen media if you feel like you're kind of 
overdoing it a yeah, little bit. Yeah, we did talk about a study a while back that said that listening to audiobooks was just as beneficial as reading, which really surprised and delighted me. It's fascinating, <laughs> yeah. and my son really loved doing it. And um, you know, listen, and he and he still he would listen to a podcast like while he played with his Legos and stuff. And I think we forget that that can be a super engaging. Um, experience for kids and it doesn't have to be something that they're looking at and in fact them you know imagining the story in their in their heads is so good for them that's great that's great advice well thank you so much for joining us today this was incredibly informative mm-hmm. and helpful and we will have links to this whole I mean this is a oh, big great. study this yeah. is not something you know you just read a little summary of on some site like it's a it's a dense it's got a lot for everybody it's really zero through eight Covers yeah, a lot. so whatever age range you've got, take a look at it or what what you're planning for or mm-hmm. thinking about, take yep. a look. Yeah, so we'll have links to this. And uh, I don't know, maybe we should all try device-free dinner. Dude, I always That's have device-free nice. dinner. That's <laughs> We never allow devices at dinner. That freaks me out. That's funny, because us, too, we don't have – I mean, it's just my husband and I now. But even when my son was home, we never did. Right. I don't count Alexa. I don't count music. <laughs> <laughs> music is okay. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Caroline. Thanks so much. All right. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Talking tech, apps, entertainment, and issues around parenting the digital generation. This is Parenting Bites with Rebecca Levy. So we are back with our Bites of the Week. And we'll start with Amy, of course. All right. (laughs) So Halloween is coming up. I love Halloween. It's my favorite holiday. You get to dress up and eat candy that's not to like um but there is a series of short horror films out and i mean short they're two minutes each they're produced by mars the candy company and um so far there are four i don't know if there's going to be more than four but there are four out right now one from skittles one from m&ms one from starburst and one from snickers but the candies don't appear in the films like that's they're just like sponsored by them and these are real Honest to goodness, scary oh. two-minute films. I, I hate like, horror. But like, think about how hard it is to get like a full story in there in two minutes that can yeah, scare you. That's cool. It's so cool. Um, the first one aired during a Yankees Indians game. The whole two minutes. The whole two minutes, and apparently just wow. freaked everybody out. <laughs> And actually, that first one was my favorite. But we'll we'll link to all four. They're fantastic. I hope there are going to be more. Oh, but I, I don't may know. have to see one. My son loves horror stuff, and he always tries to get me to watch horror movies and horror TV shows, and I just can't. So oh, maybe I'll watch you, one. You have to. They're so creepy. They're Ugh. so well done. The production quality is so high, That's and just awesome. to get all that feeling into two minutes, I was I was really impressed. Cool. Okay. All right, Andrea. Um. Well, mine's not quite as scary. (laughs) Uh, Last week, Amy and I went to visit some companies, and one of my favorite companies, Otterbox, has a new line. And you probably know Otterbox. They make the really super-duper protective phone cases. Um, So if you buy someone a phone and you definitely don't want them to drop or break it, you get them on Otterbox. Um, But they have this cool line now. It's their outdoor line. Um, I think it's called, yeah, it's, it's their outdoor line. And they have these coolers, these venture coolers. And they are literally like huge coolers on wheels that you would bring to the beach, but you bring them camping and you bring them, you know, on a, on a trip. And they hold, 
I think they said they can hold ice for up to 14 days. What? They come with all kinds of accessories, like a cutting board and... Um, you know, it, they're they're like modular, like they have all these yeah. things you can like like stick into each place and like That's cup so holders cool. and, and yes, different thank dry you. bags. You can add on the, and, the cup yeah. holder. You can add on the dry box. You can add on a cutting board so you can cut. You can add on all these different things, so you don't have to buy it all at once. Right. Um, and then they have a dry box, which. I mean, I remember going to like Sesame Place and those yes. water parks years ago, uh, and it was like, what do you do with your keys? What do you do with your phone? You don't want to leave it in a locker somewhere. Right. And they have these completely waterproof dry boxes that I recommend for anyone who goes sailing, who goes to a water park, who does anything like that, that you want to keep your stuff absolutely dry but that, my f- that was my first OtterBox product was, was a, it was a dry box that you hung around your neck to put your stuff in when you were swimming i would have given anything for that on our sailboat so much stuff got wet but my favorite part is their elevation tumblers and they're these um it's like a stain you know you have like a coffee cup to go it's right. a stainless steel coffee cup to go but they come in different sizes and they're also modular so one of them you screw in the lid and it becomes a shaker one of them <laughs> Um, I think, you know, camping cocktails, camping cocktails. One of them is a much shorter one that I saw and I thought, oh, I could take that to the pool with cocktails Mm -hmm. because we're not allowed to have alcohol at the pool. And it's not glass. And it's not glass. Exactly. So they have just this really cool new line of outdoor stuff that I would um, encourage anyone who likes camping or knows someone who does or just wants to have fun stuff. Go check it out. We'll put a link up to it. It's so cool. I wanted to take so much of it. And and since it's OtterBox, it's all really sturdy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Not going to fall apart. Um, so my my bite is very different. Um, in light of our common sense media screen time thing, there was an article in the Guardian. I think it was a couple weeks ago now, um, October sixth, called "Our Minds Can Be Hijacked: The Tech Insiders Who Fear a Smartphone Dystopia." And usually, there's this articles like, "Eh, it's all killing us." These is actually all the people who invented all these things. So the woman who came up with the like button on Facebook and the guy who invented the streak on Snapchat and and how they're all taking all this stuff off their phones. Um, that and they, hiding it from their kids. And hiding it from their kids because they have acknowledged that they have created a monster that the addictive technology that has been built in very specifically and purposefully by engineers has worked far better than they ever thought it could. Um, And this isn't even just about the influence of that we saw with the election and how easily people are being swayed and how out of control the influences of all these platforms, but how purposeful and crazily they've invented these things and all the people who were involved in it are literally buying smartphones taking all those apps off like not installing them because they have realized that they have built something that no one will really has the power to control and i guess maybe it's like gambling in that you think you do so that's what's I so scary about it. I can stop whenever I want. Right. I can stop whenever I want. What do you mean? No one controls me. I'm I'm so, this is all, I'm doing what I want to do. And they're like, no, you're totally not. You're totally at the whim of all of these apps and people far smarter than you who have purposely constructed them in this way. So it's a really interesting article. <laughs> Gives you a lot to think about when the people in charge, this is beyond just how the people in Silicon Valley send their kids to screen-free, tech-free right, which schools, we've talked about. which we've talked about. 
Um, this is like the people who invented the stuff were like, oh yeah, this is, we really have invented something that we have no idea what the power is. And it's terrifying. Um, so read it on your smartphone and yes. share it on Facebook <laughs> and tweet it out and, and see like how it. many likes you get. <laughs> no, from so doing you're that. not supposed to then care about the likes you get. Um, <laughs> you have to just share and then use the platform. Don't let the platform <sighs> use you. Um, so it's all, it's really fascinating. It's a good article. Though. It's a really good article. My other bite is, um, for those of you who are in the middle of the college process or a year or two out, which I'm two years out, Amy's I'm one year, one year out, out. Uh, an amazing podcast called Getting In. Um, it's like a year old now, but it doesn't matter because every single episode is completely evergreen. Uh, it was written by Julie Lithcott, I can't remember her full last name, from Stanford, who, oh, wrote, who wrote that great book, Raising uh, uh, raise, ra- raising uh, an adult, not raising an adult. Was it raising an adult? That I she think wrote? it was. She was the one who was at Stanford. She has a new book out. She was. The, she Real was American. a dean at Stanford yes. and just saw all these incredibly scary things happening with kids and their parents yes. who were coming to yes. helicopter. Yes. yes. So she's brilliant. She Ju- Julie Lithcote Hames. Hames. Okay, that's what yeah. it is. So so she's the host and she brings in like a college specialist person. So she says. The head of admissions from Princeton or all these different schools. But they do a different topic every week. So you could actually just go through and pick what's relevant to you or your kid. You don't have to hmm. listen to all of them. I had no idea she had a podcast. It's so good. And they follow a group of seniors for throughout the year oh, wow. through the hmm. process. So it's actually really great for kids to listen to, too, because kids don't want to listen to you. Right, no, right, never. So you can be, but it's interesting because it has the kids giving every week. They sort of check in with one or two of the kids, like, "How are you doing? What do you, hmm. you know, what's going on?" And they're like freaking out or you know whatever. But it's great. It's really, really good. So I highly recommend that. Um, and those are my two. Okay. Bites because college is. That always gives us homework. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but listen, man, that's homework that I need. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're starting to do the college search with my son. We're oh in the God. middle of the high school search with my daughter. <sighs> I, it's it's all too much. Yeah, you're really in it because yeah. the high school thing's its own thing in New York. But I will say um, I've now heard from multiple people, so I'm going to take their advice, to start visiting schools as soon early. as possible. Yeah. Or, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Beyond early because eliminate what you don't want. Mm, like, yeah. So don't wait till spring of your junior year to start looking at schools. Because then it's Go all now. a jumble and kids can't yeah. even remember what school they it's saw. It's a jumble and they're yeah. stressed about the SAT and right. then they're stressed about the applications. Right. They were like, you know, try to plan a vacation, early. a three-day right. weekend, try to plan a little vacation and go look at a school and not make it like we're going to this school. Right, not freshman year, yeah. but like you, they were like, you won't look like the crazy parent. Yeah. Trust me, just start because yeah. how, figuring out what you don't want and what you do want is like half the battle before you even can get to like this school this school well my son said that he's only looking at schools that are within driving distance of new york city and i was like okay on the one hand that's great for visiting but on the other hand like how how often are you planning on coming home and doing laundry (laughs) like what's your plan why why that right why why do you need to be so close why (laughs) and it's 14 hours (laughs) that's a drive that's That's true that's north carolina still drivable uh, all right. Uh, we'll tackle that on another show. <laughs> push them out of the nest. Push, push. <laughs> all right. Thanks. Uh, we'll have links to everything we talked about today on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Parenting Bites, and, of course, on ParentingBites.com, and links to the Common Sense Media. We want to hear from you. How much screen time does your cat have? I always wonder if parents are honest with these studies anyway. Who's self-reporting accurately? I do wonder, um, you know, because there was such a big disparity in the study between, uh, you know, education, um, you know, the the higher educated parents and lower educated parents. And I wonder if the higher educated parents are more worried about perception and if they are kind of shaving something off those numbers. Right. Or not counting 
the time they handed their phone to their Something. kid. Something. Because there's, there's such a huge difference. Yeah, it's weird. Know. Unless such, those kids are just busier. Maybe. Because their parents have More access scheduled. to resources. Yeah, to get them out to classes and whatever. Um, so we'll have links to all that. And you can find us on iTunes, rate, review, subscribe, share, and on radio.com, where we are now sitting, I guess, <laughs> where you can find us and all these CBS podcasts. Okay, until next week. See you next week. See you next week. Have Bye. a good day.